Joel 1.3 says, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Isaiah 54.13, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Psalm 78 verses 4 through 7 says, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Excuse me. Yeah, it looks a little different this morning. We're really excited about today uh, as we celebrate. Um, I love the song there. We were just singing because today is a day of celebration. And everybody, you all are awesome because you can clap. I can't sing and clap at the same time. So if you ever notice where everybody's clapping and I'm just singing, then it's because I can't do both. And if you see me just clapping, then no, I'm not singing. Uh, so one or the other is usually happening. But it was really, it was really fun. I started to, I started was watching. Usually I have to watch someone to my, to my side, and I was starting to watch, and they were a little bit slyer. You know, they kind, of, they had the timing, and I'm like, I wasn't getting on time, so I just had to sing because it is a great day to be together with the Lord, is it not? Amen. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to recognize. It's a time to realize the goodness of our God in our lives. And when we come together on a Sunday like this, when we remember the things of God and we realize the impact of them on our children, it reminds me so much of the power of God in our lives. And today when we come together, some of us, we come together, we come because, you know, it's a good thing to add God to our lives. Some of us come today on a day like this and, and we're still learning about God. We're still trying to understand and try to grow in who he is. Some of us, we could care less about God. In all of those cases, I want you to know that there's a God in heaven and he is proclaiming his goodness to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And today, as we gather together as a body of believers, because we as a body of believers here at Mansfield Bible Church, we believe it's about learning to follow after Jesus. We like the term learning to follow after Jesus because it means that we haven't got it all figured out. If you hang around me long enough, I'll probably upset you. Uh, we do that in the body of Christ because we're a family and we grow together. And sometimes some of us grow at different paces and we learn God's word and we learn about the things of his word and how to implement them into our lives that we might follow after Christ. So when we gather together today and we celebrate on a day like this, it's a day when we have, we have four, uh, three families coming to dedicate their children today. We also have four people coming to be baptized today. So it's a day of celebration. Yeah. It's 
So what we're going to do, we're going to do a little different than what we normally do in our service. You heard there was one song and you heard the reading of the word. Wasn't that word amazing? Talking about passing from our children's children to our children's children to our children's children. How, how awesome is that? I stand here today and I, my parents were not, were not strong believers. Um, in fact, I, I don't even know that they believed at the time when I was growing up, or at least my father. It wasn't until later that I saw that. And then I remember my grandmother. My grandmother was the one that, that taught me the word. She began to pour into my life about the word. She sent me letters telling me about a Bible verse. And, and that began to intrigue me as I began to learn of that. As I came to Christ and I received Christ into my life and I began to walk after him, I remember hearing of my great-grandmother who went to, as a missionary and went to Japan and helped start an orphanage over in Japan. And then I learned of my great-great-grandfather who was a circuit pastor and he rode on a horse throughout the week and he would go from different church to a different church preaching God's word. And I pray the same for my own family. I pray that my children will teach their children, who will teach their children, who will teach their children. It's generational. We like to talk about generational wealth. We like to talk about generational uh, uh, names and, and our legacies. But we don't talk about our generational spiritual lives, do we? And we don't put it in the same place. And, and today's a day to think about that. That's what these families are thinking about when they come forward with their with their children, they're, they're wanting to dedicate them unto the Lord. They're wanting to invest in them spiritually that they might grow up in Christ. I was talking to one of the moms of, of one of the children getting baptized today. And her comment was, she was in, almost in tears, this is what you pray for, that they would come to Christ, that they would know of Christ. Is that not true? Amen. It's something we need to be excited about. I love to share, and I've shared it before, and sometimes I, I like to repeat things because they're just such good reminders, but I remember Charles Shedd in his book, Promises to Peter, tells about how he had a title of a message on parenting and how it changed with his experience of fatherhood. In the early years, when he was speaking on the speaking circuit a lot, he had a, he had a message called How to Raise Your Children, and he said people came out in droves. Then, then he had a child. And it was a little while before he gave that message again. <laughs> when he did, he had a new name, some suggestions to parenting or parents. <laughs> Two more children, a number of years later, he was calling it feeble hints to fellow strugglers. <laughs> and several years later, and several children apparently, he seldom gave that talk. But when he did, his theme was, anyone here got a few words of wisdom? Isn't that true? I remember when Lydia and I got married, we, were, we began talking about family and having kids. We didn't have any yet. And we'd see people with kids. And now don't look at me in judgment, okay? Y'all did it too. Just, you're just not going to admit it. And we look at people with kids and we go, oh, we're going to do better than that. Yeah, we'll do, yeah. Oh, we're not going to raise them like that. Oh, we're going to, oh, can you believe the way they, I mean, you know, judgmental. We didn't even have any kids yet. I remember, I remember Scotty when he was born, our firstborn, and it was such a big deal to me because I always remember Enoch. Enoch's my Bible hero, if you don't know that, because it says that he walked with God for 300 years, which just blows me away that someone would walk with God. 
But it's interesting, all of his days before God took him up were 365, which means he didn't walk with God his whole life. And it talks about in the scriptures how he walked, how he lived, and at the age of 65, he had his firstborn, his son. And then he walked with God for 300 years. And I always remember when I grabbed my firstborn, Scotty, my oldest, I remember I had the privilege of walking him down to the nursery and holding him tight. And the emotions that came over in that moment, I realized, I'm not ready for this. And when they would begin to cry, it was like, you know, if you're really good at hot potato when you were a kid, you remember that? You know, you're like, here, honey, take him, you know, just please. And then, oh, when they smell, you definitely want to get rid of them, you know? I don't know that there's anything I've done that has been more difficult, more challenging, more exhausting, um, that took me to my limit and beyond than raising children. Nothing more makes me at times feel like how many mistakes I made, and yet nothing gives me more greater joy than to see them as adults in building their own lives. And in the scriptures, when we looked at it, we read it there a minute ago in Deuteronomy chapter six. If you take your Bibles and turn there, or turn over in your phones, whatever you have. It says in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here is in kind of a statement of confession for the Jew. It's a statement of, of belief. It's a confession of belief. And what they're stating is that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Yahweh, that our God is totally unique. You know, they, all the countries around Israel, all the countries around the Jewish people, they had multiple gods. They had gods for, for, for agriculture. They had gods for power. They had, they had gods for all these different things, and they would worship those gods individually. If you ticked off one, well, at least you still had another god over here, right? And this picture isn't that Israel isn't like the rest of the nations. Their god is one. He is totally unique in who his person is. There's something I've always said, and I say it often, and I've, even this week was in a conversation with someone, and I always say this. I say, you know, the reality of the sovereignty of God and who God is in our lives is the number one thing in, that really ignited my spiritual growth. When I settled in my life that I'm not God and He is, it really changed the way I began to live my life. All of a sudden, I began to look at God's Word, and it wasn't just me, whether or not I decided whether, oh, God, I don't agree with that. Or, God, I don't think you have it right here. It began to be in a place whereby I recognized the uniqueness of my God and who he is and the person of who he is, and my life became more like him. I began to pursue after him. I began to pursue after the things that he taught, the things that he said. Why? Because he's unique. He is sovereign. And when the parents are coming today, they're recognizing that we serve a unique God. I've often said that Christianity isn't a religion. I know we get called that around the world. Because a religion is about what you do or don't do. But Christianity is about a person. The person of our unique God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom we sent in our relationship with him. Nothing has changed my life more than knowing Christ 
It has profound, profoundly impacted my life, the joy of my life. I was talking to an individual right here this morning before I came in. Boy, God has just prepared this with a lot of these different conversations. I was talking to a guy this morning who was telling me about everything that just happened wrong, and he's like, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over, my cup runneth over. And then I shared how yesterday I went to do a plumbing job in my house. It was in draining, and, and I got, pulled it all out, cleaned it out, got it all put back together, and then turned the water on, it still wouldn't drain. Pulled it all back out, looked it over, cleaned it up, put it back together, thought, well, I'll just fill the whole sink up with hot water and see if that just kind of blows it through because it it's an antique sink and it doesn't have the overflow and all that stuff, so it works a little differently. And anyway, filled it up, drains, no water, victory. Clean up, walk around the wall, and there is all the water all over the living room. Right? My cup runneth over, is what my friend said. <laughs> Why? Because our lives are more than the events and the consequences and the difficulties of these lives, of, the, of this life and the world around us. Our lives are about Christ. It's about God. Our God is unique. There's no one like him. From everlasting to everlasting, he and he alone is God. And when these families are coming together, it's because they've humbled themselves before God and they recognize his uniqueness and that there's no one like him and the impact of him in their lives will impact their children's lives and their children's lives and their children's lives. From generation to generation, we need to understand the importance of teaching our children about him and his grace and his mercy. It's the, it's the work of God in the lives of humanity. And then we begin to understand what it means to, to walk after him in, in all of his goodness. Verse five says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I wanna point out real quick, this passage is often referred to when it talks about raising children or how we teach our children. And at this point, he has said nothing about teaching children yet. He's talking about the condition of those that will. And he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. When you understand that God and God alone, there's a fitting response, and that response is love. It's a loving relationship. When we talk about Christ and we talk about the Christian life, when we talk about following Jesus, when we talk about those things, we understand that it's a relationship. This isn't a check it off. You walk through the door and I check a few things off. Now I'm spiritually okay. No, it's a relationship with the Almighty God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that when we love him wholeheartedly with all of our heart, when we when he pervades every aspect of our lives, of our being, our soul, and our strength, he becomes the priority of our life. And if he's not the priority of your life, then how can he be the priority of the, of the life of your children? If you don't lead out, how can they not know? They can't. We become so concerned about the physical well-being of our children. We give them everything we can, a house, a place to sleep, clothes, all of those things. And those things are so important. We're concerned about the educational well-being of our children. 
We want to give them the best education. We want to train them and prepare them for this world. Absolutely, we need to do that. But when it comes to the spiritual condition of our children, we ignore it. And we can't do that. These parents that are coming today are saying, hey, we're not going to ignore the spiritual well-being of our children. Just as they will grow physically and just as they will grow mentally, they will grow spiritually because our God is unique. Our confession of belief in him will go, extend beyond ourselves into the lives of our children as we teach them. In verse 6, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There is a responsibility to understand these truths and the truths of God's word and to put them on your heart, to put them in your life, to understand God's word and to apply it correctly then as parents, you are in a position to impress them on your children. That you teach God's word and learn God's word and, and study it. They learn God's word and study it. As you begin to pray, as you make it a priority in your life, they learn about prayer. As you serve God, they learn how to serve God. As you learn to forgive, they learn to forgive. As you learn to not allow the the consequences of this world and the difficulties of, these wor of this world to overwhelm you, but to rise above it because your God is an everlasting God. He is unique and he and he alone is God. They learn that truth as well. And they're not influenced by all the crushing things of our world, but they stand square on the truth of God's word. He goes on in verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now he's talking about teaching because you've, in, you've incorporated so much in the life of the parent, so much in the life of the grandparents, so much in the lives of those that are influencing this child. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That when you begin to teach your children, it happens throughout the day. It isn't a 30-minute time on a Sunday morning, but it is literally as you live life. When they see you in that accident that just happened and it wasn't even your fault and how you respond. When you're afraid and you, and you go to the Lord and you pray, they learn about prayer and how it impacts your life. As you go throughout the lot, your daily life, in fact, in verse eight, it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The picture is so much that these are so important that you are trying to put them so you don't forget. You want them to go by so you, you see them when you walk out the door. You see them when you're going out the gate. You see them because God's word is so important, the truth of God, and you want to incorporate them in the life of your children that it governs your personal habits. You incorporate God's truth in your daily life because God is never an afterthought. God isn't something that you kind of remember, oh yeah, it's Sunday, we need to go to church. It's God is a part of everyday life. And then our children begin that. The greatest gift a parent can give their children is to walk after God. The greatest gift you can give your, parent, your, your children that they might know is that they have moms and dads, that they have, they have family that seek after God and they learn of the truth of God and they walk after him spiritually. There's nothing like standing in the grace of our God and knowing of his mercy and of his grace. 
of his love, of his comfort. It's in those times that the joy of the Lord becomes so powerful. It's in those times that I can rejoice when there's water flooding over the living room. It's in those times that I can rejoice because my God, my God reigns. He is unique and there's none like him. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter six is kind of where I'll be flowing out of today. Or now I'm moving into this time of baptism. And you know, we are who you say I am. When we talk about baptism, we're talking about recognition of one who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've received Christ in their life by faith. They didn't earn anything. They didn't get checked off because they walked through the doors, you know, a hundred times where they gave a certain amount of money or they said a certain number of prayers or they did anything like that. They, by faith, believe what God said he would do. And as a result of it, they are now who he says they, they are. He had declared them righteous and they stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And by faith, they trust him to do exactly what he said he would do. The God of eternal, the God who's unique, the God who is one, the one and only true God who has promised these things we by faith receive. And so those that are coming today, they're coming to be baptized, to recognize that, to identify with Jesus Christ. There's there's kind of two uh, aspects of it that I see when I see baptism. I see it not only in the aspect of proclaiming my faith, but also identifying with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter six, verses three and four, it gives us that kind of a picture. It's not talking necessarily about a physical as much as it's talking about the spiritual aspect of baptism. When you look at the Greek word baptizo, baptizo, it literally means to dip or to emerge. In fact, uh, I think it was Josephus who was a, uh, a, a historian had written about using this word about a ship that had sunk to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. And it uses that idea. So why do we baptize? Well, we do it because Jesus told us to. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it's familiar verses. If you know the scriptures, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And there it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and doing what? Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. He's talking to the 12. And he's commanding the 12 to do this. And he's commanding them to teach those who would follow. That we too would, would disciple. And we too would baptize. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And our Lord is faithful to be with us in the work that he has given to us. And when we talk about, when we talk about baptism, we talk about the significance of baptism. Uh, I think it's a profession of faith. In fact, I was talking to, I think it was Matt or somebody on staff, and when I was talking, we were talking about it, I was looking at it, I couldn't think of a place where somebody wasn't baptized out in public. It was always in the public. Was that a river or was that a place? Maybe that's the only place they had water, I don't, I don't know, but it always seemed to be out in public. Always seemed to be in front of, in front of folks. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it also says there, having been buried with him in baptism, here it's Again, talking and it's identifying us with Christ in which you also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, God did the work. He raised and 
And this happened because of, of faith and we believe in what Christ has done. It's a profession of faith. It's a profession whereby I identify with Christ and what he has done. I think of, I've shared this, I don't know, a number of times. If you've heard it before, just deal with me and let me share it again. I always loved Roy and June when I was in Maine. In fact, I might be able to get to go back there. The church is celebrating 125 years. It was my first pastorate, and they've asked me to come back, and I'm hoping it works out because I'm really excited to see. But there was an older couple up there that I led to Christ, and just by the grace of God, they came to Christ, and they wanted to be baptized. Well, when you do baptisms up there, um, you don't, we don't have baptistries. Everything freezes in the wintertime. So they do all their baptisms in the summer, and they usually go out to the local lake, and they had the perfect lake. It was just like it'd take you from here to the parking lot to get out deep enough to be able to baptize anybody. And so it was a Saturday. We had our baptismal service, and you showed up just like you were going to show up to do a cookout. And we set up, and we, do our, we began to do our service. And it was kind of interesting because you have boats streaming by and everybody fishing, doing those different kinds of things. But once we started, it kind of started quieting down. And I'll never forget going out with Roy and June. We get out there to the depth that's deep enough for me to baptize them. And there's, all of a sudden, I kind of looked over here, a little bit past the wall over here, was a guy sitting in a boat, had his feet up, shut his motor off to watch our, our, our service. And he had his feet up, drinking his beer, because it was Saturday, <laughs> you know, enjoying the lake. But he stopped. And he listened as we shared the testimony and as we baptized them that day. It was a profession of faith that many saw, that many, that many were involved in. And I always think of, of baptism as that way, as it's an idea of professing our faith. It was true for me. I remember when I was baptized, I was professing my faith as I identified with Christ. And it says here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6, if you will, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when we talk about baptism, we're talking about regeneration. There's this, there's this picture whereby, whereby, whereby sin is entered into our life. In fact, if you go back into chapter 5, right before the end of chapter 5, Paul's talking there. He's talking about how sin entered into the world through one man, through Adam. And as a result of it, it, it went through all. It wasn't just like it was just Adam, but that all were impacted, all the descendants of Adam, which, by the way, we all are, just so you know. But all the descendants of Adam. So sin impacted all. But just as sin entered the world through one man, so now righteousness has entered into the world through one man that many may be made righteous. And who is that? Jesus Christ. And so Paul is drawing this picture out of our old life without Christ and our new life with Christ. He's writing to believers here who are at Rome. And he's drawing this picture out. He's helping us to understand that are we identifying with that old Adam, that old life, or are we identifying with the new life that we have in Christ Jesus? And then when he talks about baptism, does he, he's saying to them, do you not know that in your identification with Christ that you have died to that old person, to that, to that way of life, to that, to that life of sin, that you've now been made new and raised to walk in a new life? And I know that if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, that may sound weird to you. 
But the reality is there's something none of us in this room will ever escape. You know what that is? It's death. Because the sting of sin, the, the, sting, the sting of what sin does is it brings death and it brings this picture whereby there's, it's inescapable. And through the work of Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he conquered sin and death that we might have life. And so as we live, we don't live anymore as those of the old. We live as those who are in the new life, in new Christ. And so when we talk about baptism, we talk about that symbol, symbolizes this picture of that old life that we were once enslaved to and now also resurrected into the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. It's a simple picture that these people that are coming together, that are coming by baptism, that they are professing in their lives, their faith and their death to sin and their resurrection and new life. That's why we believe in immersion here at Mansfield Bible Church because it's the best picture to draw out what takes place that when we believe we died to that old life, raised to walk in the newness of life. Uh, I've shared this. I don't, you guys probably can quote this as much as I can because when we talk about baptism, I can't stop to, to not talk about it. Now, I remember as that young boy, they received Christ into my life. And then going in and went on a, went, walked an aisle. We were in a Southern Baptist church and walked the aisle, received Christ. The guy shared with me the gospel. In the gospel, he shared with me that all had sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no one is justified by works, but by faith. And that God demonstrated his love towards us, even that while I was in my sin and that old way of living, Christ died for us, that God showed his love for me. And that if anybody would receive Christ, they would receive new life. And simply all I had to do was receive him into my life by faith. And I'll never forget that man sharing that with me that day and receiving Christ into my life. The next week, because in the Southern Baptist churches, you get baptized the very next day or that night, and it was the next week I got baptized. I remember walking out around, and the pastor was baptizing us. A lot of people came to Christ. I'll never forget, man, he grabbed your nose. I, that's why I don't do this anymore, because he grabbed my nose because I thought it was gonna bleed. He grabbed it so hard, there's no way water was gonna come up slammed me into the water. And I'll never forget, as he came and brought me out of the water, I heard these words, raised to walk in a newness of life. And I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten it. It reminds me in the days when, I, when the world gets heavy and chaotic, and I feel like I can't take another day, or I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, or I feel like there's another blow that just took my breath away, I remember raised to walk in the newness of life. Like my friend said to me earlier, my cup runneth over. Not because of what's happening, but because my God is unique. From everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there is none like him. And full of love and majesty and glory, he demonstrated his love towards us, towards each of us, and that Christ died for us. And that if you're here today and you haven't received Christ, you too can know Christ and you can receive of his grace. You can receive of his mercy and know the joy of the Lord, even as we do. And to him be the glory. Like these that are here this morning that are coming by faith, 
to be baptized.